You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Pirates Edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinstein recently sat down with Pirates Executive Vice President and General Manager Neil Huntington to talk Amherst College, the renaissance of the Pirates organization, and the decision to move Andrew McCutcheon to right field this season. Here's Mark. So you, Dan Duquette, and Ben Charrington all played baseball at Amherst under the same coach, Bill Thurston. What are the odds that three major league GMs would come from the same college program so many years apart? Well, it's more than a coincidence because uh, uh, Coach Thurston is still one of the best baseball technicians that I've ever been around. Um, We all loved the game. We all lived and breathed the game growing up, just weren't good enough to play at the next level. Uh, To play for Coach, the experience, again, the fundamentals, the the, the love of the game, the respect for the game. Uh, Dan helped me get my foot in the door. Um, I tried to return the favor by helping Ben get his foot in the door, and then Dan took him to Boston, and the rest is history. So it it is more than just coincidence. So some Amherst baseball player right now is going to be reaching out to Ben at some point to become (laughs) the next one in the chain. Well, and and that is the the, the fun part about it is is Coach Thurston has passed uh, his legacy on to Coach Ham, who's there now. We actually have a... uh, uh, one Amherst uh, alum in our front office. I know there's some in Toronto, there's some in Boston, there's uh, some throughout the game and, and some in Arizona, and, and uh, it, it is a continued legacy. And, and again, a lot of it does go back to Coach Thurston. Credit Amherst College as well, teaching us how to learn, um, teaching us a, a number of things outside and inside the classroom, but a lot of it also goes to Coach Thurston and now Coach Ham. You majored in sports management at Amherst. Was becoming a major league GM your career goal from the start? Well, I grew up on a dairy farm um, and knew at a young age that farming wasn't for me, but wanted to find something that I loved the way my dad loved farming. My mom went back into nursing when I was in middle school, and she loved nursing, and and I wanted to do something that I loved the way they loved nursing and farming. And for me, it was baseball. Always wanted to play, hoped to play, but even through high school, I I knew that it was a very, very long shot. So I I wanted to learn the game. I thought I would teach and coach, thought I would be a high school teacher and, and coach high school baseball. I got to college and thought maybe I'd coach college and then had the opportunity to intern with the Expos through Dan Duquette. Frank Wren was the assistant scouting director of the the Expos at that point in time. Legendary scout Gary Hughes was the scouting director and I got to enter two years worth of scouting report comments into a computer and you talk about a fascinating entry-level opportunity. Led to another internship and, and then uh, and then my first job with Dan when Dave Dombrowski went to the Marlins, opened up a lot of opportunities with the Expos and Dan brought me on board. So baseball was my passion. It was always something I wanted to do. Um, as a psychology major, undergraduate at Amherst and then a sport management a graduate degree at UMass, sure, but never knew how to get there, never knew how to go about it, but uh, just knew I wanted to be in baseball in some way, shape, or form. You joined the Expos, I believe, in 19- 1995, a year after the strike when they were the best team in baseball. Given all the talent that was in Montreal, were you surprised that team never accomplished more? Well, I was fortunate. Actually, 92 was my first year, um, so I got to see as they were turning the corner. That 93 team, we, we had a strong finish. Uh, actually, was due to get married that October and had to worry a little bit that we were going to make a postseason <laughs> run, and I might have to make the first professional, personal, significant choice in my life at that point in time. Um, but then you could see that the, the you could see this team was coming together. And in '94, uh, I was the video advance guy, assistant director, of minor league ops, and and just a, a, an unbelievably talented team. That in my mind, as you set up to win a World Series, this team had just about everything you do to win a World Series. It it could get on base, it could steal bases, it could it could hit home runs. Um, had three dominant starting pitchers, had three dominant back end bullpen guys. 
weren't great up the middle defensively, uh, but Grissom in center field was phenomenal. But, but our infield and, and, and our catcher weren't great defensively, but they could hit. Um, and then the strike hit. And then, unfortunately, the, the, the economics of the game changed, and we had players entering arbitration, entering free agency, and, and uh, was the first time I'd experienced the teardown and, and got to witness that and tried to play a small role in that and, and um, got to understand the challenges of working in a small market firsthand that uh, very quickly within my time in the game. It's been 10 seasons in a variety of roles with the Indians before joining the Pirates. As Cleveland's director of player development, you instilled a holistic developmental philosophy program uh, that focused on players' development as a person in addition to on the field. Why was that so important to you? Living in Montreal, um, had the opportunity firsthand to walk into a restaurant and look at a foreign language and not be able to know that I knew for sure what I was ordering. And it allowed me to then take that personal experience and, and apply it to what young Dominican players, young Venezuelan players, and again, as a fairly well-educated person, fairly mature person, imagining what it would be like at 16 or 17 and trying to do the same thing and just how challenging that can be, uh, recognizing that there are so many talented players that for some reason aren't able to reach what their talent says they could become. Uh, and then most importantly, recognizing that they're going to be former players much longer than they're going to be existing and current players. And how can we take the best of all worlds, help them become better players? Well, a big part of that is helping them become better people. It's not morality. It's, not, it's just helping them make better life decisions and helping them uh, learn how to learn, helping them to retain information, helping them uh, to put some more balance in their life, helping them to understand some life skills that will put them in a position to make better decisions so that when they're on the field, they've got a, they've got a clearer mind and they're able to go out and become the best player that they can be. So it's not completely altruistic that we're doing it, um, but with Cleveland, Mark Shapiro had put a tremendous system in place, and, and we added some things to it, a, kind of a personal development program. It's something we'd started with Montreal and took to another level with Cleveland, and, and here with Pittsburgh, Kyle Stark and Larry Broadway have taken it to an even higher level. Working for Mark as long as you did, is there one thing you took away from your time with him that helped you when you became a GM? Uh, it, it's one of the things that I've been so fortunate to work for some terrific GMs along the way. Dan Duquette, is, uh, my first job, I'll be ever grateful to him and learned so much from him. John Hart in, in a short time with Cleveland, but then Mark working with, directly with Mark. So took away something from everyone. With Mark, it, it was uh, um, the courage to make the hard decision and, and know that you're making what you believe to be the right decision for the organization, even if... The, the general consensus externally is is completely the opposite of that. And, and uh, the Indians had had a great run put together by John Hart and Dan O'Dowd and then with Mark Shapiro, and Mark was a big part of that positive run. But things were going in the wrong direction. We were an aging team with a, with a weak farm system and a payroll that was going to have to decrease. And uh, trading Robbie Alomar, letting Jim Tomey leave via free agency, letting Manny leave via free agency, uh, those were trading Bartolo Colon. Those were incredibly hard decisions, and to watch Mark go through them with conviction, knowing that he was out front and, and, and the abuse that he took uh, was hard to watch, especially when you cared about somebody like that. But the steadfastness with which he approached it and, and just the belief that the process was, was going to be right and was going to get this team back on track and, and, and to have it play out the way it did was, was rewarding. So uh, I've tried to keep that in the back of our minds or back of my mind as, as sometimes we forge through some, some adversity and some hard times. As long as we believe we're making the right decisions for the right reasons for the betterment of an organization, we've got to push forward. You and your wife, Becca, support a very interesting program, the Pirates Charities Fantasy Baseball Math Program. 
uses baseball statistics to teach math skills to children. How did this program, or at least your involvement with it, come about? It, it started out um, with uh, at-risk youth. Uh, my wife has a passion for at-risk youth, and, and it's been um, kind of something that, that's always been with her since we started dating in college. And uh, obviously, I love baseball, and, and so we combined that. Um, with this program came about, it, it, it uh, takes kids who love baseball and, and now they develop a love for math and they have develop a respect and understanding for math and the flip side works as well. There are kids that love math and now they may create a love for baseball and, and the history of the game and, and to watch the kids uh, bring their lineup out and it has Babe Ruth in it because the home run, it's, it's, a, it's essentially old all-star baseball with, with the spinner and, oh, yeah. and pie chart sure. and percentages. Sure. And, and, and the wise don't know that game, but I played it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and <laughs> so, discs. exactly. Yeah. So it's percentage-based baseball. If you homered eight uh, percent of the time, then eight percent of your pie chart. If you walk eighteen percent of the time, then eighteen percent of your pie chart. Your your pie chart is, is going to be is is a walk. And and to watch the kids then take a different look at Andrew McCutcheon and how great a player he is, and then compare Andrew with with Babe Ruth or Ted Williams or Willie Mays. It's not just current players, but it's former players. And, and again, the ability to incorporate a love of baseball with a love of math and have parents tell us on both sides of the equation. Their kids loved math, but now they love baseball, or more importantly, they love baseball and now they love math is rewarding. You relieved Jim Tracy of his managerial duties shortly after taking over, hired John Russell about a month later. What was it like conducting a managerial search as one of your first tasks as general manager? As we look back on it again, I had worked with Jim and had nothing but respect for Jim. And, and as we walked through the process, recognized it probably was time for a change. And that was a, a mutual decision along the way. Um, always tough to, to, to bring in a manager because uh, uh, you want that person to, to be aligned and you want that person to be in a position to be successful. And um, one of the regrets I, I do have is, is it was a hard time to be a manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, and John Russell poured his heart and soul into this organization for the three years that he was here. And it was a gut-wrenching decision to, to make the change. Um, uh, and, and it seems, it seems uh, you know, cliche to say, but we really did need a different voice. And we needed someone else uh, to, to lead from the dugout and, and a different set of uh, a different skill set. John's a really good baseball man, and, and uh, I'm not sure there were many managers that could be successful in that situation. And it's my genuine hope that he will get another opportunity because he is is a good man and a good baseball man. At the same time, bringing in Clint Hurdle, uh, very different background, very different uh, character traits, personality traits, also a great baseball man and a tremendous leader. Uh, and obviously that it's played out to be one of our better decisions. You haven't been shy about making trades as a GM. I think you've made more than 100 of them overall. <laughs> How long do you wait to evaluate whether a deal was good or not? Well, we always evaluate the process is, is what we're looking for. Did we have uh, quality information? What didn't we weigh appropriately? What do we undervalue? What do we overvalue? And, and it's all process. And, and the outcome uh, did we get what we think we were getting? Did we give up what we thought we were giving up? And if not, why? And, and where were we, where again, where were we undervalued? Where were we overvalued? Um, and, and it comes back to what did we miss? And, and, and what did we do properly? Uh, because again, players get hurt. Players do underperform. Players do overperform. Uh, but then most importantly, once we get that player, how do we help this player become the best player that he can be? And, and how do we put him in a good situation? How do we put him in a situation to be successful? How do we help him mentally, physically, fundamentally, and personally? And, and 
Um, so I don't really have an answer for you because for us, it's not about the outcome. It's about the process to, to how we get there. And if a trade doesn't work, we miss something in the process or we weren't able to help that player maximize his abilities. My previous life as a Yankees beat writer, I've written about nine of those trades. <laughs> You've made nine trades with Brian Cashman and the Yankees. Do some GMs just click better with others when it comes to making deals? It, it's, it is like life, and you just have people that, that you naturally uh, are drawn to. You have natural relationships with. There's a natural inclination. Um, there's a freedom of discussion, and I have so much respect for Brian and, and all that he's done in this game. And um, There is. There's, a, there's a, uh, I think, a fairly easy connection there. Um, sometimes there's people you think you'd have fairly easy connections with, and you tend to value players exactly the same, and, and it becomes hard to consummate a deal. We've had a hard time with the Indians, and I have a ton of respect right. for Chris Antonetti, and before Chris it was Mark Shapiro, and we've had a number of conversations. They just haven't come to fruition for, for a variety of reasons. One of those Yankees trades was the A.J. Burnett acquisition in February 2012. He had been up and down in New York, but he thrived with Pittsburgh. How much of a factor with A.J. do you think was the change to help change the culture here? Uh, we think a lot of the, the AJ's success here was just a change in venue, um, change in ballpark, change in league, uh, change in opposition lineups, uh, change in, in atmosphere for AJ. It, it seemed like it was time for him to get out. We still saw quality of pitches. Our, our league has a pitcher hit every nine hitters. He wasn't pitching to, to uh, such a tough ballpark for him in, in Yankee Stadium, and he wasn't facing the American League East. So a lot of that was, was change in venue and change in environment. Uh, AJ was freed up to be AJ here because we were a young team and we probably asked him to do something that he wasn't required to do in New York and that was lead and sometimes the best way to get the best traits out of someone is to ask them to lead because they become responsible for others and AJ stepped up as, as big as we could have hoped on that front uh, and, and uh, we still had some challenges along the way um, but his passion was 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 uh, channeled in a very positive direction as he poured into others more than, than he probably ever had to in the past. Rebuilding a franchise is tough no matter where you are, what you're doing, but how much of a challenge is it to rebuild an entire organizational philosophy the way that you did when you got here in 2007? It was a challenge. I had a colleague after I took the job tell me that I would have been better off taking an expansion team because at least you're building from scratch. Right. Um, when we came in, we worked hard to find the good people because there were good people here and there are good people that are still with us that were here before us that helped us um, identify who else was good, identify what was good, and build on that. We had core criteria that we were bringing in, we had systems that we were bringing in, but we wanted to make sure we, we captured what was good, built upon that, again, both personnel and systems-wise. Um, but we did overhaul the leadership team, and that wasn't the intent coming in. But as we got in and as we got established, we recognized that there were significant changes that need to be made. And, and again, we feel fortunate. Tom Prince was, was here before us, and, and Tom has a, a great future um, as a major league manager perhaps someday. Maybe he's the next Jeff Bannister who was here before us that, that grew and developed, but also helped us grow and helped us develop and helped us implement our systems, helped us develop our, our, our personnel and our people. Um, and that's, that's a big part of it is, is we're here to help people grow. We're here to help people attain their personal and professional goals, and we're here to pour into our staff just like we pour into the players, and we believe that by doing that, we're, we're going to maximize the returns for this organization. How do you think your views or philosophies on the game in general have changed since you started this business to now? That's a great question. Um, probably the importance of the person and, and the importance of, of – helping people grow and, and not just baseball skill. We, we, 
we spent so much time and we do still spend so much time on analyzing the swing or a pitching delivery or how we use a breaking ball and, and sometimes we, we don't spend enough time on the non-baseball factors that are impacting the player's ability to go perform or to retain a skill or to learn a skill. And that's probably been the biggest thing is, is it's not just about teaching the game the right way, it's about bigger picture teaching life and, and helping them uh, to be able to have a clear mind when they're on the baseball field, to help them compartmentalize when they are having some challenges, uh, to help them make better decisions so they have fewer challenges. I think that's probably the biggest thing that the, the uh, I remember with Dan, we were talking about analytics with Dan Duquette and him handing me Branch Rickey's book and there's OPS, just not called OPS. Right. And, and so statistics and the use of statistics has always been a part of our game. The, the scouting grades are based on batting average and, and essentially walk rate for pitchers and, and home runs and stolen bases. So there's always been a basis of, of statistical analysis. Uh, we've just been able to dig deeper and, and change the numbers that are the most relevant. Uh, at the same time, I believe now more than ever in the importance of scouting whether it's at the amateur level, the international level, the major league level, the professional level, um, and, and the ability to see what players can become uh, and understand more important than ever how they become that. Analytics and scouting, they're, they're complementary. They're not, they're, not, uh, uh, they're not in competition. With regard to the analytics, MLB StatCast has made some of these metrics more available to the public, um, widely available, I should say. Do you think it's changed at all, the way fans look at the game now? Oh, absolutely. Um, the ability to have some of the same, if not much of the same information as front offices, um, that's, it's hopefully increased fandom. At the same time, hopefully we're not removing the human elements of the game. And, and as our manager, Clint Hurdle, calls it the human, human analytic. It's still a crucial part of the game, and, and uh, I hope we never lose sight of that. So uh, the information that's available to fans is tremendous. The information that's available to us as front offices and how do we dig deeper and take it to different levels and, and, and find value um, in, in different ways and in, in different uh, opportunities, that, that's still crucial to us. Um, but we, again, I don't want us to ever lose sight of the human analytic. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinsand interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand. Baseball's gone global this century, uh, last century too, I guess, towards the end, with talent coming to the majors from all around the world, Cuba, Japan, obviously the Dominican, Venezuela. How much untapped talent do you think is still out there? There has to be a lot. Uh, I mean, look at the, the, the roster from the World Baseball Classic team from Puerto Rico. Look at the roster from the World Baseball Classic from the Netherlands, which is mostly Curacao, but, but the Netherlands. And, and uh, you start to look around the game, and, and uh, we signed Rinku Singh and Dinesh Patel a few years ago, uh, not for marketing purposes, but it's a country of a billion people that play the foundation of a game that's run, field, throw, and hit. And, and so for us, there was there was that, that concept of can we take those basic skills that are being played in cricket and will they apply to baseball? Now what we lost was the passion for cricket and, and, and how challenging it's going to be to get somebody to come play baseball. Um, and that's where Rinku and Dinesh were actually javelin throwers. They weren't baseball, they weren't cricket players. 
Um, but we're still exploring that market, but there's still a, a lot of untapped potential out there in the world. Now, it may take time. It may take time for the game to develop in India. It may take time for the game to develop in China or wherever else it's being developed. In Brazil, there are clubs that are, are exploring Brazil because of the athletes, and, and um, uh, we need to continue to look to globalize our game. At the same time, we need to make sure we're taking care of our game domestically, and, and unfortunately, the game is the amateur game of baseball is becoming a game of the elite again. And if you don't have money, it's hard to play because of the travel teams, because of all the lessons and the hours and the dollars that, that are being spent. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to lose the Andrew McCutcheons, who, Andrew, if you haven't seen it, go on the Players' Tribune and, and read his article from, from probably about this time a year ago. And he talked about the challenges of youth, youth baseball for someone like himself. And uh, we need to be very careful because uh, the game needs to be more than just the game of the elite. You recently said the asking price for Jose Quintana was too high. Some GMs have no problem trading away top prospects. Dombrowski did it with the Chris Sale trade this winter. Others prefer not to. What are the factors that go into such decisions for you, and do you think market size comes into play at all? It has to, unfortunately. In our minds, um, we recognize that there are, are teams that believe in windows, and, and we have a window now, and, and we'll pour all of our resources into winning this year or next year or the next two years, and, and, and we are not one of those that subscribe to that theory. Our belief is uh, we, we, have, we give ourselves a better chance to win the World Series by getting to the postseason as consistently and frequently as possible, and the way we do that is to have a really good team as frequently and consistently as possible. And in these markets where the large dollar free agent signs are not available to us, uh, how do we make sure we have a large number of really good players? Well, it comes through the international market, it comes through the, the amateur draft, uh, and it also comes through shrewd trades uh, of, of younger players maybe before they're established and, and an occasional waiver claim that turns into a regular, turns into a reliever. Um, but for us to have access to the elite talent, which is what the best teams have, we have to develop most of that internally. And if you trade two, three, or four of those players, even if only two of them turn out and the other two turn out to be mediocre or underachievers, you've still traded two players off your club that have a chance to be good for years to come. Uh, you can look around our entire club right now, uh, and anybody that came through our system, we could have traded somewhere along the way. Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyon, Gregory Polanco, Starling Marte, uh, Jordy Mercer, Josh Harrison, Josh Bell, uh, Tony Watson. We could have traded any and all of them at some point, and every single player we would have acquired wouldn't be with the Pittsburgh Pirates anymore. They would have left somewhere else because of free agency. and So that's where it becomes hard. So our goal is to be a consistent, quality, championship-caliber team that's playing meaningful games in September, playoff games in October. Um, and in order to do that, we need to have a lot of really good players, and okay. prospect hit rate isn't perfect. We're, we're trying to make it better. Um, and we will trade prospects. It just has to be the right opportunity, the right, the right situation, the right return. After such a lengthy absence from the postseason, how satisfying was it to bring playoff baseball back to Pittsburgh? I, I, I'm anticipating that winning a World Series will, will uh, eclipse the feeling of the blackout game, that, that playoff game, Cincinnati-Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh in, in, in 2013. Um, outside my office is, is Federal Street, and, and to hear the fans three hours before the game chanting let's go bucks to look out and see fans in black shirts everywhere on the bridge on federal street uh to hear them chanting let's go bucks during the reds introductions to to hear and feel the stadium and to have people express their appreciation that whole off season thank you for making baseball relevant again you know seeing kids their fathers and their grandfathers or 
girls, their moms and their grandmothers uh, at Pirate Fest or in spring training has been an absolutely amazing feeling. And, and so we're working to take those next steps because we know we still have a lot of work to do. But to see kids wearing Pittsburgh Pirates gear again is really cool. To see jerseys beyond Mazeroski and Clemente, to see McCutcheon and to see Polanco and Marte and Cole. Uh, and, and we need to give them more players to continue to cheer for, and we need to continue to win. We hear a lot of teams preach the World Series or bust mantra. Uh, is that your approach? Can the season be a success if you're not the last team standing? Well, only one team gets to celebrate their, their last win in the postseason. Um, that is our ultimate goal, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, our 13, 14, and 15 seasons were steps in the right direction. 16, we, we took a sideways, if not backwards, step, and we need to, to revisit some of the things we did to get to, work, to get to the postseason. We absolutely need to take the next step, and we absolutely need to put ourselves in a position to win a World Series. Um, are we satisfied if we fall short? Absolutely not. Uh, we won't be satisfied if and when we win. We've got to wake up the next day and figure out how to defend that. As you head into your 10th season as a Pirates GM, you're the fourth longest tenure GM in the majors. Uh, in an industry where movement is the norm these days, is there a sense of pride for staying with the same team as long as you have? I love the people that I get to work with every day. And um, I take we take a ton of pride in Jeff Bannister being the manager of the Rangers or uh, people that have gone on to, to other roles elsewhere. And that is a part of what we're here to do is to help them achieve their personal and professional goals. And um, sometimes it means they have to go elsewhere. More often than not, hopefully it's here as we continue to grow and develop. Uh, the fact that, that uh, we've been in Pittsburgh, I've been in Pittsburgh, this is 10 seasons now, is rewarding. At the same time, we know that there's not going to be an 11th, a 12th, or a 13th if we don't continue to push this thing forward. Uh, your ownership has expressed an interest in keeping both you and Clint beyond your current contracts. Have you even started thinking about that issue? I, as soon as I start thinking about things beyond my control or, or out of my realm of, of focus, uh, I'm, I'm spinning wheels and I'm not spending time to, to, to help this organization get better, and that's, that's what we show up to do every day. The decision to move Andrew McCutcheon to right field obviously received a lot of tension this year. What goes into that type of decision? Hopefully we, we thought about just everything, just about everything we needed to. Um, we talk about the human part of it and, and what is it going to mean to those three young men. And, and what was amazing in the process is as we were working through it and we made the decision, we, we walked through it with Andrew. Gregory Polanco's first question was, how does Andrew feel about this? Starling Marte's first question was, how does Andrew feel about this? Uh, Andrew's, one of Andrew's questions was how does Starling and how does Gregory feel about this. So from the human side, it's not easy. Andrew McCutcheon wants to play center field, and if we didn't have Starling Marte, we're not making this move. We just think we have an exceptional center fielder from now on in, in Starling Marte, and, and we believe our best outfield alignment, our most productive, our most efficient outfield alignment was the alignment that, that we put together. Um, we factored in as much as we could from an analytics standpoint, we factored in as much as we could from a scouting standpoint, from their skills, from their strengths, uh, from the short term, from the big term, from 81 games in PNC Park and the configuration of our park to the 81 games we're going to play on the road. We hopefully left no stone unturned. Uh, we went through the process as uh, thoroughly and as respectfully as we could. I mean, we've actually begun thinking about this two years ago. As soon as Marte was in our system, we thought this day may come. We thought about it a couple years ago, had some conversations last year, and got to a point in September we broached the, the subject initially with Andrew, had multiple conversations with him over the course of the offseason. He wants to stay in center field. He believes he's a center fielder. And again, I can't say it enough, without Starling Marte, this is not a move we make. 
a number of your players have moved around different positions during a season, which becomes seems to have become more common around a lot of teams these days. John Jason has said he expects to play multiple positions this season. How important is versatility when you bring in a player in this era? As we're developing young players, um, a, a playoff team, if you only play one position and there's a really good player in front of you, it's hard to get to the big leagues. And as we've become a playoff caliber team, we've worked to put our players in a position to make a major league team, to make a contribution to a major league team, and then they can earn their way into a bigger role. And whether it's Jung Ho Gong, it's Josh Harrison, it's Jordy Mercer, um, Josh Bell has done that to an extent. Um, as we move our outfielders around, they all play different positions in, in, in the outfield in the minor leagues. Um, very few players on good teams step right in at the, at the one position they played in the minor leagues. So it's not about creating utility players, it's about creating opportunity to make a major league team and then opportunity to, to help a major league team. And so for our young players that's crucial and we want our guys to be able to feel comfortable at different positions because it helps our manager win games, it helps them get, in, get to the big leagues and it helps them uh, play in the big leagues. Um, and again, each, as each of our guys have, they can earn bigger and better opportunities. And Adam Frazier might do that two or three years from now and, and, and others. As we look at the free agent market, John Jaso, we loved the bat. We loved what he did offensively. Um, we thought it was a very good compliment to our club. Roll the dice that he could play first base. He was hungry. He wanted to play first base. And the reason why he, in our minds, is going to be successful in playing right field as well is he wants to play out there. He loves running around out there. And he's shown to be more than more than capable out there. And now he wants to play left, and he wants to play a little bit of third. And it helps John Jaso because it, it might be his next role might be a multi-faceted, versatile left-handed hitter off the bench, and and that can help him extend his career. So the player's hunger and willingness is is the core of it. Uh, but helping them understand how it helps them is, is something that we work hard to do in our system. Not that they invented it, but last year's Cubs team is a perfect example of how that can work. You MVP of the league was Chris Bryant played third and left. Sobris, Baez, a lot of guys moving around, even in the postseason. It wasn't like Madden was sending out the same lineup every day. It, it helps the manager put his strongest lineup out there every single day when you have players that are able and willing to play multiple positions because you don't have just one player that can plug in at third base if your third baseman needs a day. You can move some guys around. It helps keep guys sharp. It helps keep guys fresh, and, and that's so important over a 162-game season. With the season just a few weeks away here, what do you think right now is the Pirates' greatest strength and greatest question mark heading into it? Our greatest strength is, is our core of our position player group is returning. Um, once we get them back from the World Baseball Classic and we're able to get going into the country, which hopefully we'll be able to do sooner than later, uh, it, it is a, it's a young, but it's a relatively established position player group that uh, we think we're going to swing the bats, we think we're going to run the base as well, um, we're going to hit some balls into the seats, but we're going to get on base, we're going to drive balls into the gaps, and we think we can score some runs and play quality defense. Um, our biggest question mark right now is probably the starting rotation. We're young. Um, even Nova's a, a young veteran starter. Uh, Cole is going to be, uh, you know, he's got three years of major league service. Tyon's going into his first major league, full major league season. Uh, but we love the ceiling of that group. And, and it's not just two guys. It's, it's we're eight deep on guys that we think can be quality major league starting pitchers with another two coming behind that. Um, we certainly understand and acknowledge there's risk to it. Uh, but we also are excited about what they can become. Lastly, you play in a division with the world champion Cubs. You've got the Cardinals, who have always been a, a solid team. How do you assess the state of the National League Central right now? It's going to be a, a very good 
division again. The, the, the Cubs obviously are, are the defending world champions with showing no signs of weakness, and the Cardinals are the Cardinals. I mean, they, they're strength, the class the of the organization, exactly. <laughs> uh, the Cardinals are the Cardinals. They're the, they're the class of baseball, and, and, and they've been a model franchise for years. Uh, the Brewers and Reds have young, hungry players. Young, hungry players are dangerous um, to established teams, and we're right in the middle. We're trying to fight to, to be there. But uh, the beautiful part about the game of baseball is it's a night-by-night -night event, and, and you don't win on paper. And, and the teams that win the postseason, I mean, win the offseason, rarely win in the postseason. The teams that win the trade deadline rarely win in the postseason. And, and we believe we're talented enough. We be, believe if we execute well uh, and, and we review and prepare well, that we'll win enough games that we'll look up in September. We go about it the right way. We'll look up in September and be in a good spot. And then you need to win a short series. And, and that's where it, these young starting pitchers come into their own, the ability to defend, the ability to, to steal a base, the ability to hit a home run puts our offense in a pretty good spot to help us win games in October.